Here's what God spoke to Solomon in the night as he was asleep, waking him up. Uh, verse 11 of Second Chronicles 7 uh, through 18. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I've commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I've covenanted with David your father saying, you shall not lack a man to rule Israel. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Now, if you can imagine, uh, most of you checked in today and when you went through the registration process as we maintain, uh, you know, just safety during our time of COVID and long for the day where we don't have to do this. Uh, but I've thought often that we ought to have tents outside of our churches um, and their concussion protocol tents. And before you can come into worship, you have to... Um, you have to go into the tents and have the leaders, the men and women leaders here at Christ the King, check you out for how's your heart? <laughs> uh, how are you doing? Um, life is difficult, life is hard, and many of us struggle even to get to church. So if you're here visiting today or wondering, what does this mean to be a Christian? It's not that Christians don't suffer. It's not that Christians don't struggle. It's not that Christians don't mess up terribly. Um, and so if you're here today and you're struggling, you're going, I wonder if I even should be here because your view of Christians is somehow we have it all together, we're perfect. Well, let me just let you know that's not true. <laughs> so welcome because we're all struggling. But we've all showing up to church where our hearts have been under assault. Um, again, just, you know, watching this thing about Ramona Cooper and David Green, my heart's under assault. Where's God? Why does God allow this to happen? What's going on here? What happened to this young guy who just maliciously killed these people in Winthrop in plain daylight? Walked by other white people looking for black people to kill. I mean, just really? Here in Massachusetts, near Boston? Uh, how, does, how does that kind of stuff happen? One of my favorite writers talks about how all our life we've been under assault. Our hearts have been under assault, brutal assault by our enemy who knows who we will become if we believe, if we believe the truth of what God says about us and who he is and what he wants to accomplish through us. So I want to encourage you if you're a follower of Jesus today, the enemy fears you. <laughs> 
He fears who you will become. He fears what you can do. And he will do everything and anything to steal from you your confidence, your joy, your hope, the thrill of knowing him personally. Uh, He'll do everything. And not only will he steal it, he will kill it and uh, he will destroy it. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So we're in a real battle. We're in a real war. Our hearts are under assault. So you can imagine checking into the tents with the elders and uh, women in leadership here, and they say, how's your week been? And you go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm still doing these same things over and over. I thought I had dealt with it, and it came right back. And I'm feeling the blow against my own conscience, my own heart. And you're given a hug, you're prayed over, you're anointed and say, come, welcome to worship. So if you're showing up today with a concussed heart, welcome. This word is for you today. If you're showing up with a concussed story, welcome. Uh, This is for you because it's a call to radical grace and to realize you and I are called to be a part of a revolution, if you will, much like we go back to 1775 on July 3rd, George Washington showed up here in Cambridge with the Continental Army. That was his, you know, he showed up here. We have a great king who's calling people together at this time uh, to enter into the battle for the hearts of men and women and children in a fight against the evil, press against the darkness, to rescue people. Uh, we're in a real, real battle. So as we looked at this passage this morning, I want us to look to, first of all, the call to a consecrated life and community, and then the call to a consummated life community. So here we are. Um, uh, Solomon, they've just had this amazing celebration of the dedication of the temple. They chose it during the Feast of the Tabernacles. A lot of people are already there. I mean, it's a big celebration. It's a big party. I mean, it goes on for about a month. And then it says the people of God live joyously, exuberant in their hearts. I'm sure Solomon thought, man, I'm so glad I get a break now. And yet God wakes him up to a, and talks to him at night and says these things to him. And I want you to listen and look carefully at verse 12 and go back home today and look at this verse because this is the thing as I looked at it and I say, God, what is the word you have for Christ the King? Verse 12 just jumped and jumped and jumped. So from the jump, verse 12, then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Uh, there's a great Old Testament commentator named Martin Selman. He teaches in London. Uh, and in his commentary on these verses, he says, when God says he's chosen this place as a house of sacrifice, uh, the word that's on the other side of the word sacrifice is prayer. God has chosen that sacrifice and prayer, which are the same side of the same coin, okay, uh, are different sides of the same coin. God has chosen Christ the King to be a house of sacrifice. He's chosen you to be a person of sacrifice, which is, means he's chosen you and me and this community to be a, a church of prayer. 
Now, listen to what he writes here. He says, prayer of sacrifice are to be understood as two sides of the coin. Worship needs an outward form and an inner heart. And for prayer to be accepted, it has to be accompanied by a visible sacrifice for sin. And folks, I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, and I got so much clarity when I realized we pray because there's been a sacrifice. Because there has been a sacrifice for us, we pray. And you put those two, two things together, then you're not living half-sided, half-hearted. You begin to realize prayer and sacrifice fit together. So what gives us boldness in prayer, and what gives us confidence in prayer, is because Jesus has made a sacrifice for us. And then we get to uh, come boldly. Now, when you think about this calling to be a house God has consecrated, he's consecrated every local expression of Jesus Christ to be known as a house of prayer for the nations. So one of the ways you can think about yourself and think about this church is that part of its calling um, is to be a community of people who love to pray who love to show up to pray, who love to pray together. Now, in Isaiah 56, I want to read this uh, for you. It's just, again, so good. But uh, God says through Isaiah, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord and minister to him to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them a joyful in my house of prayer, their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. So God's already anticipating, even though he uniquely revealed himself through the Jewish nation, that foreigners will come and worship him and become a house of prayer for the nations. Wow. Now, already some of you are thinking because you know the story of Jesus. When Jesus comes, he cleanses the temple twice. So there's two temple cleansings. There's one in the first year of his ministry. There's one in the third year of his ministry. The second cleansing, he comes in to cleanse the temple, and his rebuke, to the people is, God has said, my house will be a house of prayer for the nations, but you've let it become a den of robbers. Um, if you think about your own personal prayer life, and if we can talk right now and go unplugged a little bit, if we were having coffee together, and I would just say, tell me about your prayer life. What's it like? If you were sort of to say, in my experience, my prayer life is here in terms of priority of the way I live my life. How would you articulate that? Would you have a hard time articulating it? And again, I just want to create, we're among brothers and sisters, we're in a shame-free zone here, okay? You can come clean, you can be honest and go, my prayer life, I, I mean, I might say thank you for this and say grace over my meal, uh, but when I wake up at night, I don't think about praying, I'm, you know, but can we get this real and say, man, we, we have so much to learn about praying, and we're missing so much because we do not pray. 
And it couldn't be even worse than that, is that we've allowed things of this world to override the presence of God in our life that we don't know how to connect with our Heavenly Father, that we're selling our inheritance in Christ for a bowl of simple things. A simple meal, good night's sleep, vacation, good 401 or 403BK or 401K, <laughs> a retirement. Uh, or we're just letting ourselves be trapped into the illusion that we can serve two masters or that things of this world are so captivating that they hold us in deep fascination, that we're more concerned with satisfying our physical appetites than drinking deeply of our deepest longing for God's presence in our life. So that over our hearts, there's a sign that says to the darkness, to the evil, to the enemy, free room and board. <laughs> you have free room and board in here. Oh man, I know I shouldn't be watching this stuff, but I'm watching it. I know I shouldn't be dreaming about winning the lottery, but I'm dreaming the lottery. But a great thinker, writer, leader of another century said, you can know a lot about somebody with what they do with their solitude. So when you're all alone and nobody's looking, when you have time to daydream, time to think, where does your heart go? Where's your treasure today? What are you treasuring? Is it escaping into this or that, which is a quick satisfaction for the appetite of more money, more prestige, more control? I mean, it's easy to go to the technicolor things, but um, you know, I, I heard it said here recently where uh, this woman is saying to a good friend of mine, if the devil can't get you to do uh, the wrong, he'll get you to do the right wrong. And could it be that you're here because this is the right place to be, this is the right thing to do, but you know and God knows you're, you're missing out. You're losing, you're forfeiting, you're giving away your inheritance. Um, this invitation to call and pray escapes you. And so again, I want to tie together um, this idea of a consecrated life of prayer that's built on sacrifice is to realize that that to that happen, there must be this consummation of humility. There must be this confirmation of prayer, seeking his face and repentance. These things have to fit together. But how is that possible? How would God allow me to experience what we're seeing in this promise here that God will listen, forgive, and heal? Now, uh, because I've been a pastor for a long time, <laughs> I've met with a lot of people whose hearts are broken and beaten, people who've lived through trauma. And a lot of times they want to deal with surface issues, but if you start sort of fishing around a little bit and asking questions, you'll uncover trauma in their story. Real assault on who they am because of what they've been through. They're traumatized by what they experienced as a child or as a teenager or as a young adult or even in the past few years as they're transitioning in the last quarter of their life. A good friend of mine that... Uh, I love dearly has written a paper called, it's on about how unaddressed trauma undermines marriages. And when I sit with couples and I, we try and figure out what's, what's going wrong? Where has the love gone? Why is it so hard? Why are things so difficult? 
We can talk about behaviors and strategies and let's make sure you do a good morning kiss and a good night kiss and you hold her hand and she holds your hand and you go, you know, you do fun stuff together. But if we don't get at the, the issues of unaddressed trauma in our story, this just looks, but I mean, it just has no appeal. <laughs> really? <laughs> Come on, Clyde. This, are you serious that what's here is for me so that I can love my husband like I never thought I could love? Um, that I could love my wife like I never thought I could. Well, it's hard to get at that and understand that God is hard as attentive, uh, that he's with you to teach you how to love. If there's a lot of trauma where you don't trust, um, you don't believe, you don't forgive, and in your heart you know there's stuff going on around resentment and bitterness, and let's even get darker, there's hatred. Uh, there's a hater, and, and many times among believers, it's not that they're hating other people, wouldn't admit to hating God, but they hate themselves. I mean, that's, that's just serious darkness. And you see that kind of stuff going on, and so that's where we need to hear the good news. We need to be reminded that there's been a sacrifice that's been made. And in Hebrews 10, 12 through 14, we read this. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, um, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Wow. The sacrifice of Jesus, life, death, blood, um, his ascension, his exaltation, all of that fits together to let you know, and again, this is really good news. Here's where the good news comes in. If you belong to Jesus, you are perfect in God's sight. That's why his eyes can be attentive. That's why his heart can be with you, because you've been made perfect forever. He's never going to love you more. He's never going to love you less. That when you receive Jesus in your life, you get a new status as a son or daughter of God, and he loves you perfectly. And he and that love is secure. And it's there for you to claim and to explore and know more of it. But because through Christ's sacrifice, we want to pray. <laughs> we want to cry out to God. When we were in our prayer meeting this week, we were looking at this passage, and one of the women on the prayer meeting, she said, you know, um, what I see is the word when and if. When God says, when I send drought, when I send pestilence, when I send this, um, then uh, if my people who are called by my name will pray and seek my face, then the if-when shows us that the four facets of prayer that we see here really begin to click in. So the first thing, though, which is so critical, and again, if you're more inclined to live all your life as a victim uh, rather than as an agent, um, then it's really hard to trust, but it's really hard to hear the first invitation to prayer, which is to humble yourself, is to humble yourself. If my people will humble themselves. Um, so often when we hear that, we think, I should be humble about all the bad stuff I've done. <laughs> Now, let me encourage you, is your great little devotional book by Andrew Murray called Humility. Uh, and he starts off the book this way. He says, what should humble us is not our sin, 
but that God loves us through Christ to show us his grace. Amazing grace. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Should I gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Because you see, the power of his sacrifice, the power of his blood is that whenever that becomes real, you want to pray. And when you feel the need to pray, you know, I need to know that it's through the blood of Christ that I overcome everything that's dark and wrong and evil in this world. A few years ago, I got to travel to the Syrian border um, and uh, in Turkey. I got to fly into Ankara and drive down from Ankara. I preached in a house church in uh, Adana, uh, Turkey. And you talk about a different part of the world to be in Turkey and all that. We traveled to Antakya, which is Antioch. And I went and was a part of a church like Christ the King right there in Antioch. Uh, that was amazing. And you could hear the sound of gunfire and bombs. You know, Aleppo's not too far away from Antioch. Um, and there's this church uh, of people, and I'm sitting with the le leaders, and we're talking, and we're discussing, how do you not lose hope? And God just prompted me, Revelation 12, 11, you know, where it says that, that God's people will overcome the enemy through the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. And we had this great conversation about the blood of Christ as the power to push back against the darkness, to have confidence in the midst of so much that is wrong and evil. And if you know the story of Aleppo, you know, the leader of uh, uh, Syria is professedly a Christian, but he has bombed Aleppo into the ground. Uh, and it is, it, is, it is awful. So a couple days after that, I'm sitting uh, at a lunch, outdoor lunch place there in Antakya, and I'm sitting with two professional women and their children. And we're just chatting about how they got, how they fled Syria, it's almost impossible to get out of Syria, uh, but they had fled out of Syria and had come into Turkey, which is a difficult place for a Christian to flee into, but these women were desperate to get their children out. They left their husbands behind to protect their property, well, if it's still there. So anyway, they, they were telling us the story of how they got, got out of uh, Syria. So they came in the middle of the night to a border guard and here's what they had dressed like Bedouins, like nomads. They were dressed like they lived in street people, homeless people. And then they had literally gone and gotten sheep, sheep dung and covered it all over themselves, over themselves, over their children. So when they got to the border guard, the border guard's not going to say, let me see your papers. <laughs> he just waved them through, you know. And so they came through, and I'm sitting with them, and these women look so ghost-like in that. They've left everything behind. They literally have nothing. But now they're free from the fear that they'll get bombed into oblivion. But they, were, they got out by covering themselves with sheep dung. And I thought, to me, that was just like, oh my gosh. Wow, that you would do that to rescue your children. You see, that's what Jesus did for us. He covered himself in all our unrighteousness, our sin and our ugliness. 
so he could lead us out of the darkness. He could lead us in to the hope of heaven and to know that God is able to rescue us, that we would turn from our wickedness because, again, wickedness can be so dece uh, deceptive. You know, I know all of you know this, so I'll say it because I love to hear it that, you know, Boston, you talk about people being wicked smart. <laughs> well, what the Bible talks about is wicked stupid, you know. Uh, how could you be so stupid to forfeit all that you know is true for you and could be there for you because you really doubt that God loves you. You doubt that their power is there. You doubt the hope that is there. And this is where, again, to go back to trauma and your story, it's one thing to know you're forgiven. And a lot of people profess, I know I'm forgiven, pastor, of my sins. But God has God healed you from the consequences of your sin? See, forgiveness and healing, bringing those together. Um, so forgiveness, but do you know healing for what you've done and what's been done to you? Um, this is the power of what we can offer to a sin-sick, broken, crazy world, is that we know a God who forgives and a God who heals us. And when that begins to happen, then we're not ashamed. We are confident of what God can do for people like you and me. Brothers and sisters, as we come to the table here in just a few moments, here's our hope. Here's our feast. This is what God has done for us to remind us you can pray because a sacrifice has been made. And because a sacrifice has been made, you can develop a prayer life you thought you never could have. That you would be known as a woman of prayer. That you would be known as a man of prayer that Christ the King would grow in his reputation in this community as, man, if you need prayer, go to Christ the King. <laughs> you want to learn how to pray, go to Christ the King. And this is what God does when he pours out his spirit. His people are engrossed and called and can't wait to respond to the invitation to prayer. And so, brothers and sisters, here's the meal, here's the gospel, here's the good news that Jesus made it possible for us to reclaim our inheritance and to give us everything we long for through him. Let us pray. Jesus, we're grateful today for the wonders of your grace and mercy, your kindness, that invite us to know that you're listening and your heart is always with us. Forgive us that so often we forget it, we walk away from it, uh, we become half-hearted, but we pray just for a, a fresh fusion of prayer and sacrifice, sacrifice and prayer, that that will just energize us for the life that you're calling us to have, Jesus, we pray.